welcome to Live from the Table, the official podcast for New York's world famous comedy cellar. <clears throat> I'm here with the owner of the comedy cellar, Noam Dorman. I'm Periel Ashenpran, the producer. And uh, although it's in Start That Way on Air Personality, and our very special guest, Kyle Smith, who's a critic at large for National Review and for 12 years was a film critic critic and columnist for the New York Post and comedian and actor and uh, I'm in the distressed debt game currently <laughs> in addition to <laughs> funny it really, he's a real estate mogul I'm, I was, no, I'm nowhere near a mogul but I, was, I, I swear do to God I was going to say that and real estate mogul um, you know, listen. Are you open about your real estate stuff? I, I'm more open about it because I, you know, I, I don't, I don't hit. Like the if I asked you, like, like I used to. If I asked you, like, yeah. how much money of yeah. real estate do you own? Would you be willing? That's to not really it? open about real estate <laughs> stuff in general. That's more of a specific financial picture. Which, which. Um, well, how many square feet of New York property do you own? In this case, twenty five thousand, but I only 40 percent of that, and then another forty five hundred. But square feet is not representative of a number. You could own hundred thousand square feet of heavily stabilized real estate with a high tax base, and you're talking about a two million dollar net worth, which wouldn't buy you an apartment. Let's move on with cars. So, so you're much more, much more than a two million dollar net worth. Much more than a two million, <laughs> yes, but not Dove but, Davidoff. But, but certainly That's south of ten. Pretty good, Dove. Well, south of ten, yes. So, uh, so Kyle Smith is here. I, I read you in the National Review, and you first came on my radar. I once wrote you, but you didn't write me back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I get so much fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> it was something about Louis C.K. But you, but you were, um, you were on the side of, uh, of you were, you were on the side of the people against the people who were trying to cancel Louis C.K. at the time, I believe. Yeah, I, I, I I'm a little frustrated that there seems to be no. No, no rule, no, no sentence, no judge. I mean, he wasn't convicted of any crime. I mean, he's kind of, he lost, he said he lost $25 million for the contracts or whatever, and he was publicly humiliated. humiliated. So I feel like uh, he has paid a price for what he did. So I, yeah. I personally want to hear what he has to say, and I, I really hate that I can't watch Louie anymore. It's halfway th- through yeah. watching Louie, and you can't find it anymore. Cause can't you can't? It. No, you can, you, can, you can buy it on Amazon, I you believe. You have to buy the DVD, I think, yeah. or something like that. Dove, Dove can lend you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the DVD. Um, no, I meant the money. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, anytime. I mean, I get why people say, uh, I, I never want anything to do with that guy again, but, you know, why can't I listen to his comment? I saw his last the special he did on his, uh, on his own website, and it was right. really good, and he, yeah. he did address... Uh, you know the misdeeds, of which uh, you know he doesn't deny them. Uh, I, I feel like you know he's 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 paid a sufficient price. And anyway, I want to hear what he has to say. And if you don't want to hear what he has to say, then don't. Absolutely. To so that's why. I, by the way, he's he's coming down tonight. Oh, uh, no, if you, if no. you want to see him. Are you, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. He's closing the. I'm saying I can say it now because this won't be on. Yeah, he's closing true. the eight o'clock show, so he'll probably yeah. be on like nine. 15. I want to go yeah, down no, too. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you want to hang out for have like dinner or something then and see Louis be my guest, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. He does from time to time cancel, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll I would know. Yeah. Uh, so so that's when you came out, and then all of a sudden um, you write all the time all, all this stuff for National Review, and it's interesting to me National Review, which is like it was William. I'll tell. I yeah, know, yeah, for, National for Review. Yeah, benefit. yeah. National Review is like the conservative Bible. It was started by William F. Buckley. I'm very familiar with William F. Buckley. Thank you. But since he died, it does seem to be taken over by a, um, a like a different, a hipper group of conservatives, right? 
Like you're you're much more socially liberal, and most of the guys are than Buckley was at the time, right? It's changed. Yeah, yeah. Buckley was a man who was born in uh, what 1930 or something like that. I mean, it has evolved over the years, like everything else. And they had, I, I think it was kind of a stodgy magazine as recently as the 1990s. It was it was very Catholic. It's not really a Catholic magazine anymore. Um, and uh, we, we, it sort of used to be if they covered culture, it would be like classical music and string quartets and PBS and stuff like that. But, you know, there's a lot of pop culture that has political ramifications, even if the ramifications are just like, should we be allowed to hear this or not? So I think the way the magazine has, uh, or the website, it's mainly a website now. I mean, we get, we get like 20 million hits on our website uh, in, a, in a given month. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we're just, we can't allow uh, sort of the, the, the dominant cultural mainstream, which is mostly liberals, you know, Hollywood's mostly liberals, and, and most uh, people work at magazines and newspapers and stuff are liberals. They can't just allow them to have the playing field to themselves. And, and we shouldn't just say, uh, we have nothing to say about this, and we're, we're only going to watch, uh, you know. You're a hero. Patriot. You're fighting the good fight. I think. Right. So. What, what, is it, what does it say about, it just occurred to me, what does it say about how I, confident conservatives ought to feel that over time the various is very especially social issues that you know conservatives were so against and then you look back on it 20 years later and say you know what were they so excited about actually they lost that fight and actually yeah. everything is okay and actually we wouldn't even want to go back to what they wanted 20 years ago yeah i mean you've seen a lot of that but in particular when it comes to like gay rights gay relationships gay acceptance like in the 80s even as recent as the 90s it would be like gay relationships on tv a lot of conservatives would be like oh that's immoral or it's or it's icky or whatever but you know gen x we kind of we all grew up knowing gay people and knowing they're okay and there are roommates in college and we, you know we kind of have cast off uh, as a society even i think the conservative half of society sort of cast off this kind of silly uh you know disregard or disrespect for gays well and, and marijuana laws right yeah, I mean, it although like buckley the, was not anti-marijuana yeah and we actually have a long record being pro uh, legalization uh, and uh, we've had a he had a pretty libertarian stance on drugs in general. My my longtime boss Charlie oh, Cook wow. said thinks all drugs should be legal, including heroin. My father used to say that well, about heroin. I, mean, we're, I, I, we're, I have trouble with that, but you know there is something. And this isn't. But we're just on it. So there was this recent issue. You want to say something? No, no, oh, yeah, yeah, only just the word liberal. It's funny. I was listening to a statistician who was being interviewed on Bill Maher who said only twenty five percent of Democrats describe themselves as liberal, which would give you a what that would I mean of the entire voting population if half and half. I mean, you're talking about. A, not a small number, but a relatively small number of people to self-describe as liberals, even though half the country would describe themselves as Democrats. It's 25% of Democrats, so it's one-eighth one 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 of the country's one liberal? One-eighth, one which made me feel good. I mean, that... that it, I'll, I'll show you the loud. math after. Go ahead. <laughs> no, but, you know, and, and Louis said something to me outside when I was asking about the, you know, the sort of the, the, the mayoral race. And, uh, and he said, you know, wokesters don't vote. They like to yell... Uh, there are fewer of them than 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 they would have you think, and they don't vote. And I thought that was at least made me feel more optimistic about what's possible. And Louis said it, so it must be true. No, no, no. I thought it was. <laughs> I, thought it was a, 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 I thought it was an observation that added up. That, yeah, that that's interesting. People who don't vote really shouldn't be so loud about their political. I don't um, vote. Do you right? vote? Uh, usually, yeah, but I, I never I never vote for the winner though. The only mm. the only winner I've ever voted for in a presidential race is uh, George W. Bush. There you go. So, so anyway, so on this thing, so like there was this issue where this we talked about it two weeks ago. This this trans woman came into the 
spa with her penis showing and the, the you saw that right it was it was that, that her penis right? her, yeah and uh the uh the the black woman uh was you know went off on her it was the news and i and i you know began to question myself right. a, a lot of the things i'm talking about it's like well you know just because i have a visceral reaction to it right. doesn't make it right and i thought about how people had a visceral reaction to uh, blacks drinking from water fountains. People had a visceral reaction to seeing gay men kiss on TV. You know, all these things. And the, and the visceral reaction was sincere and serious, right? Yeah. And it proved to be not a sufficient reason to resist these things. So this I began to question myself, well, like, like, what is really the... Like, if my daughter right. were to see this trans woman's right. penis in a, in a spa, right. other than purely my visceral reflexive reaction to that this is horrible yeah. that doesn't mean like maybe it's the same is it possible that I'm 20 impressed. years now be like we used to be so yeah, concerned about like what, what do you think idea. about that you understand my point I, it, it seems impossible but you know <laughs> so if Louis C.K. had said I'm a woman and, I, and then he got his dick out that would have been right. okay yes, I, yes exactly <laughs> well is it possible that certain people have archaic views of gender is that possible? Oh, don't, don't start with that. No, but it's also inextricably linked to our experience of Judeo, our reflexive attitudes around nudity in this country mm. as distinct from Europe. And I think a penis or a vagina in general, if somebody were to see it, whether or not it's attached to a male or a female or a trans, uh, would be less reflexive. So I go ahead. Go ahead. But okay, should should women have the right to have female-only spaces at all? Can they can they at any point in their in their lives and careers say, you know, I, I just don't want male genitalia in this area, regardless of whether it's you call called Saudi Arabia. <laughs> go there. Yeah, I think they should, but I just I you know I just was second guessing my whether I actually had a logical reason for this or it was just excellent listen, reflection, it, it, but. It, it can be that just your innate reaction is accurate. That just on a human level, it's it's sexualizing and whatever it is. Like I'm not, I'm not, can I'm not, be. I'm not advocating trans penises in the spot. No, you're I'm questioning just saying, whether yeah. or not your experience followed a similar trajectory from what Republicans started as 20 years ago yeah. and where they're represented at today socially. Anyway, so but she, you were against it. Uh, but no, I totally amended my position. I was thinking out loud, and the position you want a penis in the hot tub in, I, the, in the sauna. For, I, All right, let's, let's, let's go. So, no, no, no. Yeah. Let me let me say that I don't think that children need to be exposed to adult naked adults. Like full stop. I I don't think it is anything more than that. No. Okay. Let's not get get sidetracked. This. So anyway, it was just. And, and, you know, you're probably about my age. Um, we've probably a little younger. We've seen, <laughs> like, one of the things that's really disappointed me as I got older is that basically nobody has ever been right. Like, on any issue. <laughs> They've been telling everything I read in the National Review, in the Weekly Standard, or, or in the New Republic. Or, like, nobody really ever gets much right. The economy has never once behaved oh, the way yeah. they the said it would. The yes. the the, 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 the Budget being balanced, not balanced, taxes going right. up, taxes going down. And I just become disillusioned. And this actually dovetails with COVID, with experts in general. Do you have right. reaction to all that? Wow. So you're questioning uh, whether truth exists or not? Uh, or whether, we can, whether we can ascertain it. There's a lot of things we can't know because it's just too complicated. Like, say, uh, you know, say taxes go up by a small amount and revenue goes up more. And, and it's, uh, I mean... 
there might be exogenous factors. Maybe productivity goes up more because of uh, you know Chinese imports and something like the economy has so many moving parts to it. You can't really just pick out one part and say this is this is the thing that caused the other thing. So uh, everything when you're in political journalism is a matter of arguing and uh, you know forgetting all the times you're wrong and just going you know crashing through and predicting the future with absolute fearlessness. Which is why well, progressivism can be so dangerous because if you are just suggesting an alternate model and you have not closely considered the externalities, am I right, Kyle? As a as a function of uh, that which is um, the unintended consequences of mm -hmm. a policy. Are, is, are, are described by economists as externalities. It's an important word, Noam. Mm -hmm. I, 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 yeah, I've heard the word. Yeah. So, but, and let me add another layer to that, and you'll probably uh, agree with this. When Trump came on the scene and many of these conservatives became diehard anti-Trumpers, they even abandoned all those principles and opinions they used. That they All of a sudden, you saw the who like, Bill Crystal and these people who stood for all these bedrock principles of conservatism, Max Boot, all of them, all of a sudden, they kind of gave up and, and became soft on all these things. But does that say more about politics than conservatism in general? Well, but it also says something about how, how like, like, like they didn't get soft on two plus two equals four. Like they just began to see things differently. Yeah. It was squishy. Like, these people, I, I trusted them. Like, they really believed this stuff. They couldn't be squishy on that. But Max, like, they're squishy on pulling out of Afghanistan now. It's just like they go with the wind like everything else goes with the wind. Peer pressure is stronger than logic. It's very disappointing. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. you can't be very principled if the existence of one person just short circuits your brain. That's and you, right. And you no longer stick to anything you believed. Right. You know, the whole 60 years you're writing about politics, and suddenly you're arguing the exact opposite because Donald Trump fried your brain. I, I, I think we've done a good, uh, good job at National Review at not going crazy either way. We're not crazy pro-Trump. We're not crazy anti-Trump. We have some freelancers who are very pro-Trump, uh, like Victor Davis Hanson and Conrad Black. So, so we printed their points of view. You know, a lot of people who work at National Review are very skeptical of Trump, and we've printed their points of view. And I think we've managed to uh, maintain our sanity when basically everyone in the country has gone crazy one way or the other. I think you guys have been great, actually, at National Review. Um, the one thing everybody missed i mean trump trump was this close right on january 5th or even before that he but he was this close to leaving the white house proving everybody wrong about it <laughs> he every single horrible prediction about trump had failed yeah. famously failed and then he wouldn't concede the election i never yeah. saw that i mean i thought he would resist it for a week or two but i thought he would eventually yeah. concede it right did you think that yeah, I mean that was that was just a disgrace. Uh, he could have, he, he could, yeah. As of January fifth, he could have walked away with his head held high and said, "I, I barely lost." You all said I was going to lose by ten points, but I barely lost, and I, I have excellent cause to come back. But what he did on January sixth was just so juvenile and so uh, insane that I, I think uh, a lot of reasonable people who were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt or, or would no longer give him any benefit of the doubt. And I, I personally hope he we never see him in American politics again. I'd like to see a fresh face. Uh, representing the party, I agree. You think he believes it? Yeah, I think he. Yeah, he, he kind of. Uh, he, I think he's talked himself into thinking he's going to be reinstated, and all. I mean, he, he doesn't. He doesn't think long normal lines. He, yeah, I mean, the guy has like a total personality disorder. Like, you can't take anything that he thinks. I mean, it's not logical. He's like a classic narcissist. 
and he surrounds himself with yes men, and some of them uh, have academic pedigrees and stuff, and he, he just only wants to hear the one answer, and he will just keep burning through personnel until he gets the person who's going to give him the answer he wants, regardless of whether it's at all attached to reality. Do you think Rudy really believes it? Yeah, I think I think he, I think Rudy kind of went crazy. I think he's in that category of people who used to be fine, and then uh, Trump, yeah, he be- became a crazy Trumper. I mean, that scene where the the, the hair dye was melting off his skull as he was <laughs> you know, blaming Hugo Chavez, or whatever. <laughs> total total insanity. And I, I I loved Rudy. He did a lot for the city, and he's he's he and Bloomberg together kind of put the city they back on, on the, the right city. course. They yeah. sure did. Twenty years of declining crime, and 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 uh, you know, the economy boomed, and the city filled up with all these Sex in the City girls who would have been afraid to live here in the '80s. Yeah, uh, it, it just uh, the city was just firing on all cylinders, and now it's kind of slipped back a little bit. I don't think it's a total disaster yet, but uh, you know, you feel like a lot of things least, are going in the wrong direction. Do you feel like this was this election in New York City? If you're mm-hmm. listening outside of New York City, was a referendum mm-hmm. on on progressive policies not represented not representative i should say the people um sort of communicating writing about perpetuating the most progressive policies Mm -hmm. were shown to have not represented the communities they claimed to represent which were the black and brown communities because they voted for the most conservative candidate in the lineup which was adams in the bronx i think he was uh, he uh, he outbid out one he he was outvoting um What's the super progressive candidate? By a large margin. Maya Wiley, yeah. Yeah, Maya Wiley. Yeah, so yeah, he'd sorry. be here like 48 to 17 in the Bronx or something. Yeah, and, and what does and that say? Is that a referendum A referendum on we don't want your your style well, of progressive? And what's great is he also did great in Staten Island, which is a famous home for uh, you yeah. know white middle class right. and working class people. So it was a coalition of... Uh, white people and black people of the working and middle classes against the sort of, uh, you know, champagne socialists who are, who are going for Maya Wiley. And they live, you can see on the map, because it's a very good map that ran in the New York Times of where everybody's strength was. Uh, Catherine Garcia was endorsed by the New York Times. So where all the New York Times readers live, that's where she did well. And Maya Wiley hey. did well in this little strip of Brooklyn where all the Oberlin graduates Amazing. <laughs> Yes. Well, look, I'm, I mean, uh, and then I want to talk it's about a the referendum the, on something in New York City. Yeah, I mean, champagne socialist. I, I don't know anything about good. Eric Adams. I I hear that he might be corrupt, and I used I used to not like his columns uh, in the Post when he used to write. But uh, on paper, the idea of a a black pro cop uh, mayor, one who who um, is not naive about any aspect. He's not naive about how the cops treat. Black people. He's also not naive about about the value of stop and frisk. Yeah. But he said stop questioning. Yeah. He, he also doesn't think we're going to call out mediators to deal with uh, you know right. violent crimes or whatever it is. So you know Nixon can go to China and a, and a black mayor can really probably be great. I don't. I can't imagine that he has the the uh, the the competency that Bloomberg and Giuliani I can't had. That's the case. No. Uh, he just doesn't seem to have that background that they do. But no. um, maybe that's not the most important thing right now in a mayor. Maybe he does actually have the most important thing, which a New York City mayor would have, which is kind of being a moderate black guy. I, I think he's changed over the years because you're right. In the 80s and 90s, he was kind of like the Al Sharpton of the police department. He was yeah. kind of like stirring up a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of animus within the police department. It's sort of like the, the house radical in, in, in the cops. And now he's putting himself out there as completely the opposite. Like, I'm the cop in the race. I'm Mr. Law and Order. I want to bring back Stop and Frisk, which which isn't even legal anymore and was kind of discredited. 
He's, he's like, I'm going to bring back a form of stop and frisk, which is, you know, sort of thrown out by judges. Uh, but is it this kind of... But let, let him oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. But he's saying all the right things. He's saying we've got to get a handle on crime. We have to make the city welcoming to, you know, little kids, families, rich people. Rich people are the tax base of the city. That is what keeps New York from ever turning into Cleveland or Detroit, is we have all these rich people who, who choose to live here, and they finance all the great stuff we have. They finance everything from the welfare state to the opera. It's, they, have, they have this massive amount of revenue that, that they get from Wall Street, and the last thing you want to do is chase the rich people out of town. Everything, no, I, I, I'm not sure where I was before, but everything you're saying seems to me to be um, representative of a, of a kind of, um, what is the, uh, what's the counter argument of that, of the ecosystem that Kyle just described, um, facilitating a better city? I mean, what, I don't understand what the argument, if you don't make, if you don't treat this ecosystem in such a way that the money isn't driven out of town and that um, you don't embrace that which creates the probability of safety, how do you not uh, sort of because begin you're to... You're right, Dub, because the left... But why the, is there a debate the about The left this? destroys things. They destroy nations. They destroy cities. They, we, I mean, right? I mean, this is the... This is, there's a lot of historical precedent for this all so around the world. self-evident that... Yeah. that yeah. Yeah. We seem to be on the right side of history for a lot of other things. Well, I, I, we just—I mean, I, I already gave full credit to the left being uh, correct on, on certain social issues. Okay. But on just other issues, sure. on other issues, I mean, Cuba. I mean, I mean, it's, it's it speaks for itself. All right. So you wrote an article not long ago about the Babylon Bee. They got suspended by their not constant content Mailchimp. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this is doubly interesting. So you remember a long time ago, we always used to hear that conservatives are just not funny. Conservative, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. And all of a sudden, do you, do you read sure. the Babylon Bee at all? You see there? No, I don't read. I don't know uh, anything politically. This is why I'm good to have because I interface with people that know nothing. It's kind of an <laughs> un, it's kind of an onion from the the right. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah. Sure. And it, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. So all of a sudden. Conservatives can actually be funny, but so what, what's what's your take on all that? And what's and 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 so I know they were also I think they got uh, reinstated, but they had mailed out some very obvious satire about CNN with a washing machine. Right. I don't remember. You can tell us. Yeah. Bit. So Babylon B ran this story. They, they're just perfectly made for the Twitter age because their jokes are 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 just so so punchy and to the point. So they had this joke about how um, CNN purchases industrial-sized washing machine to, pin, to spin the news. Right? <laughs> and and uh, Snopes, the fact-checking website, ran a fact-check on it. Like, did, did they actually buy a gigantic washing machine in which to spin the news? And, and, <laughs> and uh, the New York Times sort of picked up on this idea that what the Babylon Bee does is, quote, far-right misinformation. It's not far-right. They make fun of Donald Trump all the time. It's just very, they're making fun of very obvious targets. Uh, they just happen to be the targets that the left has given up on. I mean, there's so much of comedy that, that there's this wide open space. Like, no one makes fun of Jim Acosta. The guy's ridiculous. CNN is ridiculous. Brian Stelter is ridiculous. These people deserve to, to be made fun of. And Babon B and Greg Gutfeld and very few others are the ones who are actually bothering to make fun of them. And, you know, as you said before, it's like, oh, conservatives can't be funny. Well, when conservatives are funny, they pretend we're not really funny. Like, Babylon B has to be taken in earnest. We're going to pretend that this is misinformation rather than a joke, and we're just going to go joke blind. We're going to go joke deaf. Uh, 
you know, we, we cannot we cannot detect your comedy. Our comedy detectors no longer work because you're you're uh, you're not supporting our premises. But the flip side of that is you have this kind of throne sniffing comedy of Stephen Colbert, who's not funny at all. He's just like repackaging Democratic Party talking points into something that kind of looks like a joke. It kind of feels like a joke. It's not really funny. And he doesn't get laughter. He gets clapter out of it. He just gets, uh, you know, people agreeing with him very loudly. And, and he's just uh, sort of signifying that we're all on the same team. And it's really boring. And you saw that John Stewart segment where he's actually taking the side of like the Chinese government. And John Stewart's just ridiculing the idea that, uh, that, uh, that COVID could not have originated in a lab. Of course it could have originated in the lab that was studying, uh, you know, infectious viruses and doing gain-of-function research. That's by far the most plausible explanation for, for where it came from. Says, There's an outbreak of chocolate in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I don't think I've ever watched Colbert's current show. I used to find him very funny when he had the Comedy Central show. Yeah. When he'd do those interviews. Yeah. I mean, he's quite talented. Yeah. But he... he Probably if he just wouldn't get on his soapbox, he would still be that funny. But, I, you know, well, I mean, his soapbox, quote unquote, is part of what makes him interesting to certain. Do you watch that show? Sometimes. But I'm very fond of Colbert. I think he's really smart and funny. I mean, I appreciate what Kyle's saying and I don't actually disagree with him. But I do think Colbert is um, very funny. Fallon doesn't have a political bent, right? Fallon. Yeah. I, I don't watch any of those. Really? No, Fallon tries not to. I don't I'm watch just... any of them. I, I was just sort of sort of examining the notion that, you know, if conservatism can't be funny, which is, of course, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, there was that, like, Dennis Miller, remember, like, Dennis yeah. Miller, Dennis Miller used yeah. to perform that. He was hilarious as a yes, stand-up comic. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. But then he, and he became, and he was funny on the O'Reilly show, actually, when he do wisecracks on the O'Reilly show. But then he came out with some comedy special where it was, like, really, like, full-blown conservative humor. Yeah. And it was awful, I thought. So right, but that's not representative of whether or not conservatives can be funny. I mean, yeah. funny is set, is is apart from any you know political leaning as much. I, I mean, it, it seems like it's a chicken or the egg. If I'm pitching NBC on a show and there is a, a relatively left leaning mandate, my show is not going to make it on the air in the first place. So you won't be able to cite my show as representative of why conservatives can be funny because it never made it to the well, air. Can we say this? When we were kids, it was liberal. I mean, it was conservatives who were likely to get offended at something at a comedy club. Yes. And yes. now double that. Yes. It's liberals who are likely to, and when and when an audience is likely to get offended by six out of ten things you might want to talk about, they tend to all of a sudden become less funny. They sure do, and and that's it's really flipped, right? It used to be you wouldn't want your grandma, your conservative right. grandmother, to go to the comedy club; she'd be offended right. by everything. Right now, you don't want your like twenty year old. Yeah, so now you don't want your, you don't want your grandkids to go because oh, dad, this is how you know. This is, like my my friend's son is. That's like that. funny. No, that's true. Yeah. I think what's really interesting though is that the best comedy are able to sort of do what you're saying, Kyle, which is to recognize that the absurdity in all yes, of it, right? Yeah, sure. Like that, that those observations um, that everybody's like a fucking hypocrite and... Yeah, my take on Trump, the, uh, the the whole thing, I'm an independent, I'm conservative on some stuff, but I always got a bad feeling after Trump was done answering a question, even when I agreed with the answer. <laughs> that was the point. It was like, that was the, the needle that needed to be yeah, thread. That was a good bit. And what's yeah. worse than being offended is they want to shut you down and deplatform you okay. and call you far yeah. right and say you're misinformation and say, oh, you can't be on Facebook anymore because you're part of the whole misinformation ecosystem. I, I think Tucker Carlson's a funny guy. I mean, he's certainly funny for... Before one of these, uh, you know, news talking heads, he's funnier than Don Lemon or Anderson Cooper or anybody's John funnier Hannity. than Don Lemon. I, mean, the, um, I, I want to talk about Tucker Carlson. Go ahead. 
No, no, no. I, I was. Uh, go ahead, Noam. So Tucker Carlson. So you're right. He he, he can be funny. I mean, McCarthyism. That that I have. That's funny. Been yeah. no no. <laughs> yeah, he, you want to? No, he was funny, very funny baby. at parties. He's not that well known. McCarthy was a card, baby. <laughs> No, no. Him and J. Edgar Hoover used to do the same. J. Edgar Hoover dressed up in a dress, and it just kind of like, <laughs> it was a great bit. But, but Kyle, do you feel like, again, I, I, I think perhaps only if I had any value here, it was just my lack of knowledge being uh, easily identifiable. That's with usually my job. <laughs> yeah. No, but I was thinking in terms of McCarthyism, at what point have we reached that kind of level of um, sort of diminishing likelihood of free speech? Yeah, and it's all coming from the left. Oh, yes, no doubt about it. It, it, it. I mean, they used to be against McCarthyism, and now it's like, well, yes. we weren't against McCarthyism. It's just that the wrong people were the wrong it. kind of McCarthyism. We're not against the, per, you know, the principle of pushing people away from the microphone, but yes. we just want different people pushed away from the microphone. But it really is McCarthyism, right? Oh, oh, yeah. I, I think it absolutely is. And, yes. and the, the big difference is now that we just have realized in the last five years, is like, holy shit, there's like four companies that control all of the information we, yes. we get. Yes. So if all four of them do like what they did with the Hunter Biden laptop story sure. and say, oh, we're, no, no publicity is allowed. And we're, uh, no one is allowed to talk about this. No one's allowed to know this information. Yes. Then they can very quickly chill whatever information they, they want sure can, from, yes. from getting to you. And what you just said about Facebook, too. I mean, Facebook is so corrupt. Like, what, what they're ca canceling people. I mean, they have, like, the most shady politics of all. This is all of the, I mean, it, all of the congressional hearings around monopolies are trying to, you know, deconstruct this. It's a pretty challenging issue because they provide a lot of value for very little money in some cases. And so demon. To, to describe them as monopolies, Monopo mon anti-monopoly legisla legislation was brought about to, to remove price controls consolidating in one company. What Gmail has done, what Google has done, what Facebook has done has actually made things so cheap that everyone has access to them. And so you're no longer protecting people from price controls. And so they're trying to determine where. Well, so that but it's legitimately where, where people are getting their news. Uh, well, yeah. I, I have some buzzer. What, what is your right. thought on um, whether these private actors, uh, like it's kind of the the, the uh, issues related to Trump's suit against all the the tech companies? Mm -hmm. How do you think this should all be handled? I don't have an answer. That's that's I think the big question facing your society is what what is the answer? Because you cannot. You cannot tell a private company what to say, and you also can't tell them what not to say. So you can't force Facebook to carry Donald Trump, or you can't force Twitter to carry Donald Trump. That would be stupid. That would be like the same thing as, as, as censorship. Uh, I find it really hypocritical that Louis Farrakhan doesn't seem to be banned from anything, but Trump is banned from everything. But uh, it, they are private companies, and they, 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 they are entitled to make their own decisions about who they host and who they don't. Um, but we're seeing like consolidation with you know the, the Biden administration is saying last week that oh yeah we're working closely with Facebook to decide who the bad actors are and we just we've identified twelve people one of whom is Robert F Kennedy Jr. We identified twelve people who we think are putting out most of the misinformation we want to you know we obviously want to crack down on these twelve people well it's not going to stop with twelve people and anyway we should. Should a big uh, provider of information one of the big providers of information be working with the federal government to to. Uh, to, to kick people off their platform, that's that's pretty scary because that, that actually is censorship once the government is involved. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's, there's two, we, I talk about this on another show, there's two issues here, both of which 
uh, I think are not easily dismissed. One is that when all these companies act in concert, then it does become kind of a, 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 a trust violation. And we saw this, you know, people said, and I would say, well, you know, if, if Twitter kicks um, uh, Trump awful, you know, start your own Twitter, right? Which was then all of a sudden we saw, well, you can't really start your own Twitter because Parler got kicked off. And all of a sudden, and it's not just one company won't run the Hunter Biden story. They all lock arms and none of them will run the Hunter Biden story. And at some point, this does seem like concerted action that might run afoul. And then the other thing is what he said, what Kyle said, is that when a private company starts acting in a way they wouldn't otherwise, clearly they wouldn't, they have no reason to want to censor, except that they're trying to stay on the right side, on the correct side, on the good side of the people in power. And the people in power are making it very clear to these companies, listen, this is what we want you to do. Otherwise, there's some fucking regulation. Then it's not crazy to say that this is, I think the term is jawboning, like that, you're, that the government is getting these private companies to do what they can't actually do explicitly. And maybe the courts, I mean, if they could find the right to abortion in the penumbra of the 14th Amendment, can they find the right to the First Amen- uh, to free expression in the penumbra of the First Amendment? What's a uh, penumbra? I don't know. <laughs> like, like it's, it's like it's undefined. You get my my argument, right? It's not, it's not a crazy argument. No, it's not crazy. But what do you think, Kyle? Um, you're absolutely right. I just I do not know what the solution is. I'd be very eager to hear what 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 we can do. I mean, people are saying eh, maybe break up Facebook and force them to sell off Instagram, and you know, you, you know, maybe Google's forced to sell off YouTube and stuff like that. I don't know if that would uh, really uh, really help very much. I can certainly see that happening. I mean, AT&T was not as powerful as Google is today and when that was broken up in 84 or whatever. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that happened in the next 10 years. I mean, there's a design flaw in the Constitution, obviously, because they never can see Part of the that argument- anybody but the government would be so powerful that the world would have to reckon with it. They never, that was just not something ever conceived in the First Amendment. If they were writing the First Amendment anew today, you would imagine they would word it differently. Somehow they would have to take stock of the new world. And if they were really, if, if it was still written by people who were dedicated to free speech, they might want to include uh, the Internet, right? And it's funny that in the 90s, the big promise of the Internet was openness. Like, right. it's very democratic. Anyone can do it. You can, you know, a 12-year-old kid can can become a star on YouTube or whatever. You can get millions of followers. And now we're, we're seeing it's sort of the opposite of openness. It's like this this very uh, very clubby, very elitist atmosphere where it's like four people. You, you get the idea that, uh, you know, Zuckerberg and, and Bezos and the Google guys are kind of sitting around a table going, okay, who do we ban this week? Should we ban uh, the Hunter Bryan story? Yeah, okay, let's do that. Uh, it's become this uh, oligopoly. It, it's, it used to be like the promise of openness and freedom, and, and it's, uh, it's just completely gone the other direction. But I think, I, I don't know. I the, think something will give, but go ahead. Yeah, perhaps, but, but to offer a more sort of optimistic perspective around Silicon Valley, I listened to some guys, including Chamath Palihapitiya. He sort of runs one of those space programs. He was an early uh, uh, he was an early Facebook executive, a billionaire guy, and um him and a few other guys, and they were all talking about how lots of tech entrepreneurs and companies are considering leaving Silicon Valley and how they have a, a, a big problem with general progressive politics um, and the direction that Facebook and Google and the, the consolidation of 
power in those few hands. And so I don't see big tech necessarily as all on that bandwagon and that they've become the kind of, you know, some monolithic enemy. I think there's a lot of dissent within that community that I've been hearing, uh, if that offers any solace. Let's let's get to Tucker Carlson. Now, I have, I'm actually, this is not what I plan to say, but as I'm thinking about it, I'm actually going to fault the National Review here a little bit, Uh-oh. even though I haven't read it. I think that somebody credible from the right needs to take on Tucker Carlson on the way he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth on this vaccine stuff. I don't know if you've watched a couple of those key monologues he did about the VAERS database. I mean, he was clearly... Uh, scaring people out of taking the vaccine. And then when you looked into his facts, they were very, very shaky. And he had, similarly had another thing last week that I saw where he talked about this uh, audit of the votes in Georgia, I think it was. And he alluded to the fact the Atlanta Constitution newspaper agrees with him. So then I went and looked at the article, and actually the article did agree with some of the facts, but the article said the net change in a vote was 27 votes. And the way he presented it, you would have thought that you were going to find the exact same opinion in the Atlanta paper as you right. And uh, I don't like it one bit. And, you know, and I think that, I don't know how you feel about vaccines, but I think that, you know, to the extent that... He's cons- a provocateur. Well, to the extent that conservatives at, at the National Review don't believe that, do believe that everybody should be taking these vaccines, and I think most of them do, they need to call him out for this. I don't know what, where you feel about that. Well, you're sort of echoing a talking point that Bill Crystal uh, came up with over the weekend. Oh, then I take he, it back then. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Crystal said, well, I'm sure National Review is vaccine skeptical. Well, no, actually, we've been pumping for the vaccines the whole time. And, yeah, I didn't and one think of our, were, yeah. One of our writers put out a, a long list of our pro-vaccine uh, Pieces. Every, everyone in National Review has been vaccinated, I think, as far as I know. I got vaccinated as soon as I could, and I got my yeah. daughter vaccinated like the day after <clears throat> she became eligible. So I, and, no, I and one, one of the pieces right. specifically was about Tucker Carlson like, pushing back on some of his claims. I think in general, we, we kind of don't delve into the TV world that much because we kind of feel like all the TV people are entertainers, and we kind of assume they're all kind of just, just kind of yeah. jazzing things up to, to, to get a rise out of their audience. And if we kind of started fact-checking the TV entertainers, we kind of we we never have room for anything else. But we have pushed back on him uh, at least once with, with Peace saying no, uh, he, he's wrong about this. But I think this is unprecedented. First of all, I, I, he's an entertainer, but he's also very powerful as a, as a opinion shaper. Sure, yeah. and, it's outrageous, and it's an issue that's not like any other because people die from it. Yeah. And it's discrediting conservatism. And, uh, you know, w- William Buckley famously, uh, you know, pushed out the John Birchers and, you know, had kind of a civil war about anti-Semitism. I, this may be overblown, but I feel this vaccination issue is just as serious. I mean, this has got to s- stop. And, and I really do believe a big part of the far right resistance to the vaccine is Tucker Carlson. Now, that's just my gut. I, I don't have any data to show that. I don't know what you think about it. I, I don't know to what extent this one person is responsible. There, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy out there. Um, it's, uh, I think, something like 34% of black Americans have gotten the vaccine. There's vaccine hesitancy there. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of it in the rural <laughs> areas and, and in the South. And uh, a lot of these areas went for Trump, and I assume a lot of these areas uh, are Fox News Channel watchers. But on the other hand, he only has... Three million viewers out of 
300 million people in this country. So it's, you know, 1% is watching him and they're just like, you know, 30, 40% are reluctant to get the vaccine for whatever reason. Um, yeah, but it, there does need to be a concerted effort to get these people to realize that the vaccine is, is going to save you from COVID. And if you get COVID, it'll be very mild. So I, I do hope we can see more uptake of, of the vaccine. But, but to be fair, these, these, I think it's 4 million views, whatever, but these, but these, uh, views of his they get they echo. emailed they get retweeted they get facebook they, yeah. they yeah. word of mouth they, they're they're spread in that community yeah i mean I, I i bet you that a very very big number of right-wing people who are vaccine hesitant are aware of tucker carlson's views one way or another or, or, well, tu- or, isn't yeah. tucker carlson vaccinated he, he doesn't say, say. He's, uh, I mean, I would bet anything that he is vaccinated, that his family's vaccinated. You're probably right because he's a smart guy. Yeah. Um, no, but it's also, look, th- I think, in order to work where he works and to. In, no, Fox, uh, Fox has not required everybody. I, I don't think you're right. I no. actually don't think you're right. I think that you are, they have like a system. No, that, we, we would know that. Um, they wouldn't be, we wouldn't be asking Tucker Carlson whether he's vaccinated or not if we knew that everybody at Fox is vaccinated. But there, listen, there, is, there are sides of it which I am sympathetic to. You have a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. The risk-benefit of getting a nine-year-old vaccinated, I mean, I'm going to do it, but I, I don't think it's crazy for parents who don't want to vaccinate their nine-year-olds. I don't know. How do you feel about that? You must have thought about this. Yeah, I've, I've seen people say that there is, you know, there's a very small risk from vaccination and there's an even smaller risk from COVID. So it, you could definitely make the case that uh, it, I don't think it's a no brainer that you want to get the vaccine. But I think most of us wind up getting the vaccine just because it's going to be required by schools and stuff like that. Yeah. So Fox News airs PSA telling viewers get the vaccine. This is from The Hill an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox, yeah, I mean, Fox is not totally anti-vax, but Tucker Carlson really seems to be. I don't know, you know, this is nothing about. I mean, they have that guy Alex Berenson all the, on all the time. You, I mean, this guy has is a fraud. I mean, you, he's clearly a fraud. I had him on our show. He is a fraud. He was out there uh, tweeting the Israeli numbers, but essentially saying the vaccine wasn't going to work, that Israel was going to all kinds of nonsense. You're like, oh, Fox has changed, right? When O'Reilly had Dick Morris on. Dick Morris was saying that Romney was going to win the election. And he was adamant about it. And then Romney got creamed, right? O'Reilly never had Dick Morris on again. That was it. Like You, you never saw. Because O'Reilly, like, hate him or not, you know, had a certain amount of, like, he was disillusioned. Like, what the fuck has this guy Morris been yeah, telling me? Yeah. Hmm. And, and I think that even Roger Ailes, like, he fired Glenn Beck when Glenn Beck was going off, the, going crazy. There was a certain kind of, Mm-hmm. And, and Charles Krauthammer, like I, I said this before, I love liberals Krauthammer. always said that Fox News was crazy. Fox News was always a 10, right? But like Spinal yeah. Tap, now Fox goes to 11 because actually looking back on it, Fox was always pretty okay. Yeah. Now it actually is fucking nuts. Yeah. But it's <laughs> hard for the liberals to complain <laughs> about it because as far as they tell us, it's always been like yeah, this. Right. Now it's at 11, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Is this important? Go ahead. CNN Business updated on July 20th. Yes. Fox has quietly implemented its own version of a vaccine passport while its top personalities attack them. Tucker Carlson has called the idea of vaccine passports the medical equivalent of quote unquote Jim Crow laws and other Fox news personalities. Yeah, it's just like Jim Crow. Um, You can't believe believe whether you don't know whether he really said that, but go ahead. 
But what is well, it? Well, it's a that, quote. So, vaccine, but, but, it? but yes, but but the but Fox Corporation um, what is has quietly passport? implemented the concept. What does that mean? Implemented that you have to be vaccinated. Does it say that, that you have to be vaccinated? Yeah. Or does this, does it mean that maybe you have to get tested before it? If you no, have to be I think you have to be vaccinated. All right, well, if you can find somewhere you have to be vaccinated. All right, um, I, I, I'm not sure. So what, what else? What do you think about this CRT? It's terrific that you have a nine-year-old. You're, 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 what do you think about this critical race theory being taught in schools? Well, for, first of all, before yeah. we, we yeah. say that, let's yeah. define it. Because a lot of people hear the CRT acronym being thrown around. How are we defining it before Kyle answers that? Uh, how do you define it, Kyle? I think the way it has become kind of received in the mainstream is uh, the teaching that white people are presumptively racist or beneficiaries of white uh, privilege or white supremacy and black people are presumptively victims of racial uh, uh, animus profiling. Things like what about how, what about the Chinese who had a brutal uh, history here in this country and all of the other people that had a brutal history? I mean, where does no no, no the, 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 none of that compares to the history of black people i'm not saying it compares i'm just saying it doesn't seem to be mentioned as also like if the if 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 i i the scary part of it for me is it provides a kind of narrative that feels destructive it seems the productive aspect of it is acknowledge that black people had it tougher than everybody else in this country uh, while simultaneously um, not engaging in seeing one's community as uh, victims in an infinite CRT sense. I mean, where does the uh, well, where does well, CRT to me, end? To, well, to me, what it, among the things it means, it's like communism. You know, what, what, it, what, what people claim when they show you the text uh, is it, only, it's only so important to defining what it really means in real life, right? right. But to me, it's all those things which have, replaced content of your character where they've really taken principles and reversed them. Where it's, was, it used to be it's wrong to judge somebody by the color of their skin. Now it's wrong to judge certain people by the color of their skin. It's, uh, it's no longer about uh, or, a merit or, system. It, it, that, that every, everything now is, um, has to be seen through a racial lens. And yes, and that white people are presumptively born with some guilt and it also to me it also extends what about the white people that you know i i, I grew up adjacent to some people that were uh, missing teeth that were functional literate literates at best um what about people that are growing up in west virginia that have what they call what mountain dew mouth or something that, that literally have all kinds of dental problems by the time they're teenagers nobody cares about them anymore with, with, yeah in in in, in <laughs> Coal towns in West Virginia. But there nobody, are millions of white people but that, that grow say, up with zero education. But nobody's saying that those people aren't suffering. They're just not. They're all not addressed at all. Oh, so let, let's hold that because that's an issue. But what, so, what do you feel about teaching critical race theory in the schools and all these bills that are trying to outlaw it? I th the bills have to be worded very carefully because you don't you don't want them to to say uh, you know. Uh, no uncomfortable subjects can be taught and no one is allowed to feel bad and things like that. But I, I think there are ways, I, I think the way the Texas bill is drafted is, is pretty close to the way you want the bill drafted, which which is uh, you, you're not teaching people they should feel bad on, the, on, the, on account of the color of their skin. You know, let's, let's not teach that. Um, let's, let's not teach people that they're just helpless victims of historical forces and that if you're black, you're, you're, you should you know, carry a chip on your shoulder because you're never going to make it in this country. This, this is the least racist country, I think, either us or Canada, maybe, in the entire world. 
if you've been if you travel to Europe or Australia or any place else, certainly the Asian countries are are very uh, non welcoming of people who are not of their race. The Han Chinese uh, are, are notably not friendly toward other races. Uh, you're better off being black in America than practically anywhere else on earth. I, I maybe can't. That's not know. good news. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I'm saying this is not a racist country by, you know, the racism in this country is way less than you're going to see anywhere else. Yeah. You're saying so on, say a, on a relative basis, it feels destructive to communicate to someone. If there's racism that you can point at, do so. But also don't tell yourself that working hard will not produce any results because of your but skin But I don't color. think anybody's so, saying that. That's what okay. CRT is saying. Well, so this is what I think. I think that... um. Well, I'm, I'm hesitant not. about the arguments. I've heard of, it's uh, you know that that essentially I heard Ben Shapiro say this one time, and I, and I didn't like it. So you know, black people are better off here than any other country in the world. Well, that may be true, right. but that doesn't mean they have to uh, accept it if they're not treated of not. properly. No, no, so no, like you know, there was the a time you could something. say well, Jews are Jews are treated better in, in right, here right, than right, right. but you're treated shit, they're treated yeah, shitty yeah, everywhere. Yeah. So uh, all relative. Yeah. But uh, having said that. Um, the question is, what's true and what's not true? What I, what I would like to see... But isn't the question also what's destructive and not? Can't we all acknowledge that that race and racism are, are real without, without uh, um, uh, some commensurate narrative about um, this? It, it, I was listening to take it out of race. Go ahead, Noah. No, I'll tell you the answer. I, I, I don't know why no one has said this, maybe because it's dumb. But uh, <laughs> if I was writing a law now, I say, listen, all right, you want to teach about, for instance, uh, redlining, you know, the, the fact yeah. that black people couldn't get loans, and many people think this is the reason that there's so little intergenerational wealth in black people. Fine. Uh, and if, but if you're going to teach about that, we also want you to teach uh, Glenn Lowry's uh, uh, explanation that actually redlining is not the reason. In other words, mm. let's teach whatever you want to the kids. But if you're going to teach that, then you have to teach it. Liberals are all about, they always talk about the fairness doctrine. They miss the fairness doctrine in the media. Right. Because if, like, you know, my, my, I'm friends with Coleman Hughes, and Coleman Hughes has written some really powerful contrarian opinions about race. So fine, if you want to assign that essay or, uh, to the, these kids to read, then it's absolutely okay. But you also have to assign the best uh, scholarly opinions on the other side. And then what you would see is instead of the conservatives being the ones who are trying to censor, you would see liberals freak out. They don't want anybody teaching anything by Glenn Lowry or Coleman Hughes about race in the public schools. What you're describing would be education as opposed to indoctrination. That's right. So instead of saying, like, we don't want you teaching any of these things, okay, you're yeah. fine. You want to teach don't that? really teach. Let, this is how you're going to teach it. You're going to yeah. teach it, not that it's your opinion on it. Yes. Let's teach a balanced view about it. It's a wonderful it. idea. Yeah, yeah and, I and think that's what that, my law would say. And then you would see, and liberals yeah. would not go for it. I, excuse me, you have a liberal sitting right here. I just you said that's a very interesting idea. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's because I don't see any other way to define it. Like, I, like it, I would assign a kid to say, okay, I want you to go home and think about, imagine you were a white person living in the, the 18th century, born in the South. Yeah. Do you think you would have known that slavery was wrong? Sure. Like, let these kids fucking think that's about an it. excellent way like, to like, educate like, someone. It, yeah. No, you're 100% right. But, you know, to remove it from... I've asked my kids to think about that. Like, you know, just like, and they're like, oh, my God, I never, like, I never thought of that. It's a tremendous consideration yeah. because it really forces you to, to, to bring 
to apply context to a situation as yeah. opposed to just knocking down a statue without any context. Right. You know, but I think it's like, of course, I would know that that was wrong. The question is, is <laughs> <laughs> but if you're running a business and you're a billion ridiculous, children, of course, you would know that was wrong. Really? Think, yeah. Do you think the Nazis knew it was wrong to kill Jews? They know it's wrong. They just don't care. Well, I, I don't. I, I mean, do you really think people didn't know it was wrong to be whipping people and, and lynching them and stealing their children? Uh, I don't. I, I mean, unless you're like no, a no, fucking no, monster. No, fair enough. People probably oh. knew that cruelty was inherently okay. wrong. This would be a good thing for children to think about. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You probably didn't want to touch this subject. It's too. It's too. Uh, it, trying to get kids to understand a completely different culture and, uh, you know, the, an immensely more cruel, immensely more violent culture. I think that should be uh, a central goal of education. Like, here's mm. how it was then. Imagine you're you're in this situation. Right. Uh, and and by the way, don't think you're necessarily better than anybody else because yeah. uh, let's say you were a, a southerner um, who, who was against slavery in you know the 1830s. That would have been a very rare position. You would have lost a lot of right. friends. People really would have hated you. Would you really have stood up? Because everyone thinks, oh. <clears throat> I would have been super brave. I would have, I would have stood up against the forces of history. Well, would you? You know, Billy Wilder. Billy of course not. And we've seen it th th throughout history again and again. But that, I mean, that's a very interesting question. Well, I about, but Billy Wilder, he didn't finish. Billy, Billy Wilder, after uh, World War II, went over to to do uh, some documentary filmmaking um, in, in Central Europe. And, and he said, he, I never met a Nazi. Everyone is against the Nazis. Every single person right, I met, oh, I was right. totally against the Nazis. Right. No, you weren't. Right. Of course. Right. I mean, and that's the case today, too. Right? I, 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 I just want to say, courage to stand up like. in this day and age, like, do you think that... Uh, um, do you think that when, uh, whenever the cultures are, that they have a female mutilation, genital female mutilation? Female genital mutilation. Do you think they know yeah. they're doing wrong to their daughters when they do that? Uh, that's an interesting question. Well, you question. must think that. Yes, I do. Yeah, and I'm saying, no, they don't. Yeah, I, I you, you, you totally You I, totally miss... Or, or they disagree, maybe. They know that no. people think it's wrong. Cult people, uh, you're, you're, you're giving way too much credit to what humans know naturally about what's right and wrong. And if you raise somebody as Absolutely. a certain baseline that this is okay... Think about what you okay. can get people to believe about the origin of man through Christianity. I mean, <laughs> right. think about what people internalize early on and what they'll believe in the face of all evidence to the contrary. And they really believe it. Of course, pa Palestinians said they send their children as suicide bombers. I mean, do you think they know that's wrong? Why would they do it? Well, I think that they believe that something greater comes of that. I mean, maybe that's the case for that females. That was the argument for slavery, too, is that I, you could I, generate an economy or something. I think like. knowing something is wrong and then having the being brave enough or the, having the courage to do something about it, as things. Kyle pointed out, are two very different yeah. things. I mean, female genital mutilation, I feel like, is a different episode, though. <laughs> it might be a different episode you know but along all of those crt lines and to remove the racial aspect of it it's it's uh there was a psychiatrist who was talking about designating ptsd uh, uh vets that were returning from iraq um and she said the worst thing you can do for a vet is to confirm the belief that they have uh, a lot of reactivity around trauma before you designate them as ptsd candidates for a government compensation. She said the, what you want for them is to believe that they have the will and the ability to get back on their feet psychologically and to continue to engage. And if they can't, then you would provide the designation that would allow for compensation. 
She said it would be very destructive for their minds to just confirm that there's nothing they can do about it. Do you think... Wait, wait, we're going to have to wrap it up. Cause okay, I'm sorry. So you, you did movie reviews. Mm -hmm. I've gone back, and I, I, I like to do this. I invite everybody to do it. I, I go back and look at like the reviews and the times for classic movies mm -hmm. like Godfather 2 <laughs> or Rocky and see just how wrong... <laughs> like Vincent Canby just right. panned Godfather 2 he called it a Frankenstein uh, and he I think I think it was also Vincent Canby so no one does it in his spare time <laughs> he just panned Rocky and right. which is a little bit more forgivable but still he missed the not nah, Rocky was great he, he missed the, the the timelessness of the movie yeah. so uh, what are your favorite movies and what have you gotten wrong or whatever you know whatever you want to talk about in movies that's oh, a God. fun question. Yeah. Um, well, I, I wrote about train spotting the other day. I just can't get enough of train spotting. I, I, it Why? Had his twenty fifth anniversary. Um, I I've seen that movie like more than twelve times. I th I think it gets at uh, sort of the excitement of this completely crazy life that heroin addicts have. Mm -hmm. It makes you appreciate why they're doing it, and it makes you root for them to get out of it. But you you wow. you're, you're, you're feeling if you've ever been. Like a, a person who's just not in control of yourself for one reason or another, whether it's you know sex or alcohol or anything else, gambling, uh, you know, overspending, over shopping, and be a shopaholic. I think a lot of people can identify with this crazy situation these heroin addicts are in because they, they just cannot control themselves. And uh, you know the way this is put a, put on the screen by Danny Boyle is, is like a series of you know darkly comic set pieces is is just. <laughs> Completely enthralling. I, I think it's one of the three best movies of the '90s, along with uh, wow. Pulp Fiction and, and Goodfellas. Um, but nice. I, I, I very often cannot convince wow. people to see the greatness in Train Spotting, although they acknowledge the other two are, are great. I have to watch it. Are you a Godfather man? Oh sure, yeah. It's to me. I like Godfather three too. Godfather three is not oh. bad. Although, although the new version of it was basically indistinguishable from the old one, right? Is it? Uh, um, I didn't see the whole the new. New, the new cut, I, but I, I was—I thought the old cut was it had some problems with it. But I think people were overly focused on Sofia Coppola uh, yeah. being not that great. I don't think she ruined the movie at all. But I think people are just obsessed with the idea that oh, this guy put his own daughter in the movie. Well, he, she was the only person he could get on short notice after Winona Ryder dropped out. I don't really right. blame him. I don't think she ruins the movie. If you didn't know she was a director's daughter, you just think, well, that that actress isn't very good. Right. But it wouldn't it wouldn't ruin it for you. So my my problem with Godfather Three is that Al Pacino doesn't seem like slightly he's older Michael to me he seems he seems like scent of a woman right he just doesn't seem to be able to do the controlled acting anymore at least he did he was good in Donnie Brasco actually that was the last time I saw but in the Godfather 3 we just just didn't seem like the same guy I just think it's got that that great King Lear ending where he's it's like King Lear holding uh, Cordelia the, the one good daughter in, in his arms and it's kind of roaring at his fate and it's like the the worst possible thing that, that could happen to this horrible human being is that his daughter would get killed. That was powerful. Yeah. But you had to sit through the whole movie to get <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You had to earn it. Spoiler. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I could, I could watch The Godfather. I could literally go home and watch it every night. I, I, really, I don't know what it is. Yeah, All right. So, Mr. Smith, it, it, it was a Pleasure to meet you. I, there's so, I, we kind of sidetracked on other stuff, but I read your stuff all the time. I yeah. think you're most like the most entertaining writer at the National View, and, and you also have columns in the Post now. Mm -hmm. And um, do you have any books? Uh, I wrote two novels. One was called Love Monkey, and the other was called A Christmas Caroline. Uh, those were uh, back in the early 2000s. All right. So, and um, I hope you'll be a friend of the place and uh, come around. I, I'm going to try to, if you want to hang out, to see uh, Louie now. Sure, yeah. I do. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. And Bye. Dove. 
I don't know. <laughs> Are you on that show too? We'll see, yeah. At the eight o'clock. Oh yeah, you're probably going right before him. Okay. Okay. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Well, thank you. Good night, everybody. Oh, podcast at comedyshow.com. Podcast at comedyshow.com.